What story do you think John was telling himself there in prison? We all do it, don't we? We all tell ourselves a story. We all try to explain and make sense of ourselves and our place in the world around us. So what story do you suppose John was telling himself? We all do it. We can't really help ourselves, can we? After all, we're made in the image of God, and he is the author par excellence. He is the author of life, and so we can't really help ourselves. We have to tell some story. We have to tell some kind of a narrative in which we find our place and make sense of the world all around us. What story then, I ask you this morning, do you suppose that John the Baptist was telling himself? What world did he suppose he was inhabiting in which his life made sense and which made sense of everything that was going on all around him? If we were going to use a fancy word, we would speak of John's narrative. And I say that's a fancy word because it sounds fancy in my mind, but if you turn on the TV, you find people using that word quite commonly. You try to watch a football game and the commentators are telling you the narrative of the team of the season. You switch over to some political show and they're talking about a finely crafted narrative. We all do this, whether we're talking about sports and the season, whether we're talking about our nation and its politics, or even down to a personal level. We all tell ourselves some story about who we are and how the world around us fits together. Today we hear of John the Baptist in prison. Strange thing to hear about on a Sunday that's called Rejoice Sunday. We hear how John sends his disciples to Jesus with a question on their lips. Are you really the guy? Is this really what we were waiting for? Or maybe Jesus, maybe we should have looked for somebody else. Because you know the story seems to have kind of come unraveled. It would seem that the plot of John's life has hit a bit of a snare, wouldn't you agree? It would seem that the narrative that John was telling himself, that he was not just telling himself, but indeed that he was telling the whole world, had hit a big, well, writer's block. Remember the story that John was showing to the world. Remember how he showed the world a certain story, even down to the things he was eating, We're told in scripture that John had a very strange diet. Some of you may have tried this one, although it usually doesn't last very long. It's not a popular fad diet. It was a diet of wild honey and locusts. What does that tell to the world? That tells the world that you don't have any time to bake, doesn't it? That tells to the world that you're not thinking of any kind of next day or the day after or next week. You're not plotting out your meals on a nice square grid. You're just picking up whatever's in front of you and putting it down your throat. John's diet tells the world that everything is about to end. John's diet shows to the world that everything is reaching its climax, everything is reaching its goal, and there's no point in taking stock of next week or next month. Today is the day. That's the story that John was telling himself. It was a story of great urgency. It was the story that he told himself even down to the things that he wore. We're told in Matthew's gospel that John was dressed in camel's skin and a leather belt. Now, I notice none of you are dressed in camel skin this morning. It's not quite the fashion, is it? 
We dress ourselves in much different clothing, and the clothing that we wear usually communicates some story that we think of ourselves. So if you dress in a suit and tie, you must think this is a special place, and indeed it is. But John's clothing communicated the same message that his food communicated. John's clothing was the clothing of a prophet. John was wearing the same kind of clothes that Elijah, the prophet long ago, wore. And I think that that is the answer to the story of what story John was telling himself. John was telling the Elijah story. John was telling a story of Elijah returned. And the story of Elijah is a story of a prophet who comes to a troubled kingdom and says, it's time for everything to change. Now, maybe you remember the most famous bit of the Elijah story. Remember the story at Mount Carmel? You've got Elijah on one side of the mountain and the prophets of Baal on the other side. And you have that great showdown there between the Lord, the true God, and Baal, the false god. But John's life is very much like Elijah's. In fact, Jesus draws a nice little line for us in case we missed the point. And John's message matched his clothes and matched his diet. John was consistent. We've got to give him that. What was it that John was telling everyone? He was saying, repent. The same thing Elijah said, change, return to the Lord. And that message came with a whole lot of urgency. John said things like this, already the axe is at the root of the trees. That means God is swinging an axe and it's about to chop the tree down. You don't have time to put this off. You don't have time to say, maybe I'll come back next week, John, and listen to your message. No, now, now, now. Everything that John did, everything that John said, told this same story, now, is the time. But then John ended up in prison. And that prison sentence kind of dragged out. And when you're the kind of guy who's eating locusts and wild honey, who's wearing camel skin and a leather belt, who's telling everyone, already the axe is laid at the root of the tree, now is the time, and then you end up stuck in prison for who knows how long, it kind of makes you wonder. Was this really the right story? Was I telling everyone the right thing? Is this Elijah time or did I get it all wrong? John had labored greatly in that story and he was now suffering greatly, which was really not something new. Elijah suffered all kinds of terrible things. You may remember how when Elijah confronted the king in his day, Ahab and Jezebel, he ended up singled out. Jezebel came and struck down all of the other prophets, and poor old Elijah went up to Mount Sinai and said to the Lord, I'm the only one left. John fits the Elijah bill, doesn't he? He fits the Elijah bill in his clothing, in his message, in his diet, and even in his suffering. But see, when you start to suffer, questions arise, don't they? When life doesn't go the way you thought it should, when the narrative takes a turn that you didn't see coming, when you're no longer the one who is the author of your story, that's when things get hard. That's when you start to question the story. Is this really what I signed up for? Is this really what my life is supposed to be all about? See, I thought the axe was already at the root of the tree, Jesus, and now things are dragging on. 
I don't think that John was, you know, so sad because he was in prison. I think he was so frustrated because things weren't happening. John is a man of action. John liked to see things go. John's whole message was, now is the time. And then Jesus comes along and he takes his sweet old time. And you can almost imagine John's disciples urging Jesus, hey man, let's get it into gear. Let's get things underway. This chapter has drawn on long enough. This paragraph just keeps going. This is a run-on sentence, Jesus. We need to get to the climax. What happened to John's story? Why hadn't the great untying of everything taken place? Are you really the one, Jesus, or should we have expected someone else? Now put that same question to Jesus. What was the story that Jesus was telling? What story did he tell himself, and what story did he tell the whole world? Well, you can hear what he said to John's disciples. Go and tell John what you see and what you hear. Go and tell John what you see and what you hear. And then Jesus tells a story where everything is upside down, doesn't he? The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor people who are so full of misery, they're the ones who have good news. See, what John saw as a great stall, Jesus says, is the whole point. What John saw as boring, what John saw as dragging on, what John saw as a problem, Jesus says, is the whole point. Go and tell John what you see and what you hear. For a great reversal is underway, John. Don't get me wrong, I'm still the one who has come. I'm still the right guy. I really am the Christ, Jesus is telling John, but I am a certain kind of Christ. I am not the kind of Christ who takes orders, even from the best of my servants. I'm not the kind of Christ who is someone's lapdog, who is there to be commanded. I have my own purposes, John. I am the author of this story, and the story I am writing, the story I am writing is one that is meant for all people. Here is the story that Jesus was telling John, that Jesus was telling himself, that Jesus was telling the world, and that the spirit now of Jesus is still telling to you. It is a story of great reversals. It is a story of wildernesses becoming, it is the story of wildernesses becoming pleasant places. It is the story of deserts blooming. It's the very thing that the prophets had hoped for all along. Listen to what Isaiah, the great prophet, said. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus has not come to disappoint John, and Jesus has not come to disappoint you. Although he may not unravel the story of your life exactly the way that you want it, Jesus has come to do something even better. Jesus came and John was expecting something and eventually it would come, but Jesus has something even better, something that John didn't see in his own short-sightedness. 
Jesus comes to preach that good news to the poor, to raise up the dead, to give hearing to the deaf, to give cleansing to lepers, to give walking to the lame, and to give sight to the blind. It's exactly what Elijah had hoped for. Jesus has come to a man like Elijah, and he has come like the one greater than Elijah. Now, maybe some of this sounds a little bit obscure to us because we kind of have a sense of Elijah, but what comes after him again? I forget. Is Noah after Elijah, or is that Abraham? How is the or- what happens in the Old Testament again? I'll tell you. Elijah comes and does wonderful things, and then comes a prophet even greater than Elijah. Elijah is followed not by a disappointment, but by Elisha. And Elisha does double everything that Elijah does. And so it is with John and Jesus. John runs into the world and says, now is the time. Now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Now, now, now. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, yes, now. Now the good news goes to the poor. Now the lepers will be cleansed. Now the dead will be raised. Now everything will be turned upside down, which will really be right side up. And blessed is he, Jesus says, who is not offended by me. It's a strange thing that someone would be offended by Jesus, isn't it? When we hear that word, we think of, you know, somebody feeling insulted. And certainly we don't think of Jesus being the one who brings insults, although he does call his disciples sheep, and we don't like that so much, do we? But the offense that Jesus is speaking of is the offense of disappointment. Blessed is the one who is not disappointed that I do things my way, in my time. Blessed is he who is not offended that I write the story according to my own heart and not according not according to your own heart. See, everything that John was hoping for, Jesus would, in fact, do, but he would do it in his own sweet time and in his own sweet way. The great untying of the knot, the great reversal of all things will come, but it comes through the way that Jesus assigns it to come, and that means it comes through his own cross. That's the story Jesus was telling And I think it's good for us to ask this morning, not only of John or of Jesus, but ask yourself, what story are you telling yourself? We all do it. There's no point in saying, well, I don't don't get involved in narratives and things like that. Yes, you do. We all tell ourselves some story. We all tell ourselves and the world around us some story that makes sense of who we are and the world that we live in and our place in it. So what is the story that you're telling? Are you telling a victim story? It's very common, isn't it? The old sob story. See, everyone's against me. It's all everyone else's fault. And things aren't working out for me because, well, my older brother and my older sister, and things aren't working out for me because of my dad, and things aren't working out for me because of the boomers, and things aren't working out, <laughs> things aren't working out for me because of the governor, and things aren't working out for me, and things aren't working out for me. Are you telling yourself a sob story? Or maybe, maybe you're telling yourself a great hero story. I've got it all straight. It's the rest of these people who don't know what to do. I'm the one with all of the answers. It's the rest of the people who have all the questions. If people would only, only just listen to me. It turns out the sob story and the hero story are kind of the same, aren't they? 
They're the story where you are the main character. They're the story where not only are you the main character, but you also get to be the author. And you know what happens when you write your own autobiography? You're never the villain, are you? You're always the hero. And so the victim is a hero in his own way, and so is the great virtuous hero. The problem with those stories, the problem with those stories is that they're not true. There may be some element of truth to them. There may be some grain of truth in the sob story. All of us are victims to some degree. People around you will sin against you. If no one's told you that, today is the day, okay? It may also be true that you really do have some of the right answers, that you really are kind of doing the right thing. Good for you. But that's not absolutely the story. And no matter who you are, you are not the main character in your own story. You are not the main character and you are also not the author. Thank God. Thank God that you are not the author of your own story. It would always end in tragedy. Thank God that he has sent his son to write a new story for you, that he has sent his son to write a different story for you, not a story that ends in sobbing and victimhood, and not a story that ends in puffed-up pride and arrogance, but a story that ends with you in the kingdom of Jesus. Among those born of women, Jesus says, no one is greater than John. He's the best. But among those in the kingdom, even the least is greater than John. Here is your story. You are a member of the king's kingdom. Christ Jesus has come into the world to redeem you from sin and death and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver or any precious thing, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that you may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and tell yourself that story every morning when you wake up and look in the mirror and wonder, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing here? Tell yourself that story every day when you look around, you read the headlines, you turn on the TV, and you wonder, what in the world is going on all around me? You are his own dear child, and his kingdom will go forth in the world, perhaps not in the way that you would want, but it will go forth in his sweet way and in his sweet time. For the story that Jesus has come, the kingdom that he has come to bring, is far better than a sob story or a hero story. It is the story of joy beyond all joy. Here our king is the hero, not me. And here the king raises up poor victims, even if the victimhood is only a delusion of their own mind, and gives them his own righteousness, gives them his own justice. Here, in his kingdom, he turns things upside down, which is really right side up. And so the story that we tell ourselves, well, it's the story we rehearse every Sunday. It is a story of forgiveness and love. It is a story of undeserved grace and favor. It is a story that culminates culminates not with an axe chopping down a tree, but with the people of God joining their hearts in thanksgiving and praise. It is a story that resounds in thanksgiving and joy beyond all joy. For to the, to the despairing our king brings joy, to the fearful he brings peace, to the mourning he brings comfort, to the feeble he gives strength, to the doubters he gives hope, and to the dying, to the dying he restores life. That's the story that you are part of. That's the story that this service is telling you. That's the story of the feast that knows no end. 
So tell yourself that story. Tell yourself the story of Jesus. Find your place in that story as his dear child, as a member of his kingdom, and live out your days serving him gladly with rejoicing, whether you end up in prison or whether everything goes right for you. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.